But for today, we'll go to Exodus chapter 40. We're going to go right to the end of Exodus, and we're going to find out the final um, subject that we want to cover in relation to the book of Exodus. And of course, I, this wasn't a verse-by-verse or even chapter-by-chapter study of Exodus. This is really just going through different lessons that we can learn as they were wandering in the wilderness. And this one is pretty powerful, uh, Exodus 40, verse number 34. And this lesson is called The Glory of God the glory of God. And so verse 34, it says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation, because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up uh, from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, Then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let's pray. I just ask you, Lord, that you would help me as I bring forth this lesson today. I pray it would speak to our hearts, and Lord, uh, meet the need of our heart tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're going to look at this a little bit. The first thing I want to look at is the covering of God's glory, the covering. Now, verse 34 says, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So there we have two different things. We've got the cloud, and then we've got the glory of God. So what is the cloud? Well, if you look at that word cloud, you'll find out that it's something to cover, to clothe, or to conceal. So basically what God's doing with this cloud is he's concealing his glory. And that's what's taking place with the cloud. And so uh, the cloud uh, sent by the Lord always accompanied his glory to conceal his glory to mankind. Uh, And we can see later there's a reason for that. Now, there's a time where we, in the past, where we've seen this cloud before. Uh, We see that earlier on when the pillar of cloud by day in Exodus 13, verse 21, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. And so God came during the day in a pillar of cloud, and in the night he led them with a pillar of fire. Now letter B, the cloud that covered the mount as well. And so remember when they got to Mount Sinai, and the cloud came and dwelt upon the mountain. Now, the interesting thing is uh, that Moses went into the midst of that cloud. You see that in verse 18 of chapter 24. It says, And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Now, that's interesting for the simple fact that you would think that the glory that rested upon the mountain that day was so great that Moses wouldn't be able to enter and go close to God in that mount. But you know what? It was greater in the tabernacle than it was on the mount. Because in the tabernacle, Moses couldn't enter into the tabernacle. So there's something greater about the tabernacle than, than about the mount. And yet you look at the mount, did not the earth shake and, and there's uh, thunderings and so forth. It just seemed a much more uh, fearful sight. But yet God invited him directly into his presence there in the midst of that cloud. And so uh, the glory of God, let her see, was greatest in the cloud covering the tabernacle. And there's a reason for that. 
I believe that the glory, uh, we'll look at that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. So Moses was able to climb the mount covered in the cloud and pass through the cloud, but he could not enter the tabernacle. Uh, the glory of God was more magnificent in the tabernacle than any other place thus far. So within the revealing of God to mankind, and of course, when we're looking at Genesis and moving through the scripture, what we're seeing is God revealing himself to man. Uh, we saw that even at the beginning of the Exodus, how that uh, he even told Moses, you know, by my name, Jehovah, they have not known me. And so his name would actually uh, be revealed or himself, his presence would be revealed through the names that he would give them. So they didn't understand who he was. And so he's revealing himself little by little and his glory is being revealed to mankind. So number two, and I'm just giving a little foundation here as we, we get into the meat of this. Number two, the filling of God's glory. Letter A, God's glory is his honor, glory, majesty. And here's a word, wealth. The wealth of God. So when you talk about the glory of God, what you're talking about is his very wealth. And if I would have done a study on it, uh, you would notice that the first time the word glory is used in the scripture, and if you use the, the, uh, the law of first mention, you would know that the glory was used when Laban's sons were mad at Jacob because Jacob had taken all the glory of their father, which means that he had all this cattle, and because of God uh, working it out, uh, Jacob ended up with the better cattle and was able to leave with them and really just left him with, with the lesser cattle and the, the weaker cattle. And so Laban's sons were angry and they said that, that Jacob had taken all the glory of their father. So the wealth, the riches, the essence, the weight of their father. So when you're talking about the glory of God, you're talking about exactly what he is. What makes him God? Amen. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the glory of God. So letter B, God's glory filled the tabernacle. And the word filled means to be complete or to finish or to satisfy. And so he obviously saw a need to enter into this tabernacle and to completely fill it to the place where Moses himself could not even enter in to this tent in the middle of the wilderness. Um, Number one, glory, God's glory was revealed to Moses in part in the mount. And so here, you got to understand, God's revealing himself in, in portions, in, in, in part ways. Uh, in verse 18 of chapter 33, it says this, And he said, I beseech thee, this is Moses talking, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So there's the key. Why is there the cloud? Why does God conceal his glory to mankind? Well, because they cannot bear to see him, otherwise they would die. Amen. And God told that to Moses. Moses, hey, I want to see your glory. And God says, well, if you would see my face, you would die. Amen. So this is a problem. Now, why would Moses die if he'd see God's face? What's the issue? What's the problem? It's a three-letter word. It's called sin. The Bible says your sins have separated between you and your God. And so what God is doing with the tabernacle is explaining a way for mankind to get back to God. 
But God just can't come in his full glory and say, hey, look at me. This is what I'm going to do. God had to come and conceal himself because he knew that if you would see God in his complete glory, you would die at his presence. Well, then let me ask you this. What are you going to do when, let's say, you think you're going to heaven when you die? (laughs) What's going to happen there? You're going to see God in his complete glory. There's no cloud up there concealing him. So how do you know you're going to be okay? How do you know that you can stand before him? That's a good question. Neil, it seems like you have an answer. (laughs) Amen. It's because of Christ and what he has done. See, this is why it's a dangerous thing for those of us to think that we can stand before God in our own glory, in our own works, in our own abilities, in our own goodness, in our own things that we've done down on earth. See, what that really is is our weight. What we're saying is, this is what people think. They think that I'm going to go to heaven and there's going to be this balance scale and God's going to put me on the one side or my bad on the one side and my good on the other and somehow if my good outweighs my bad, then I'm in, <laughs> you know? Well, the problem is the, what's on the other side of the scale is not you, it's God. His glory is on this side of the scale. That's why the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if you've come short, that means that you, you have not measured up to the weight of God's glory. So God's glory is on one side of the scale, it's tipped it over. Now, you're, you're going to be deceived if you think you're going to jump onto that scale and tip that over this way to your favor. <laughs> it's not going to happen. You've come short. And that's the first thing that we talk about people to people about when they want to be saved. You have to understand that you've come short. There's nothing you can do. There's no glory. And you've got to be very careful because if you claim glory down here, you're actually taking God's glory. You're stealing it. And so that can't happen. So somehow I got to get to heaven without stealing his glory. Somehow I got to get to heaven by completely meeting the, the weight of God's glory. Now, how in the world can I do that? Well, that is a good question. That's what we're going to get to today. All right. So here Moses says, I want to see your glory. I don't know if he knew exactly what he was saying. I think he had a great desire. But the Lord says, hey, uh, let me tell you something, Moses. You can't handle it. He can't handle it. But what he says is this. He says, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will, I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And so it's, it wasn't good enough that you'd say, hey, I'm just going to show you my back parts. He says, no, no, I'm going to put you on this rock and I'm going to put you in the cliff of the rock. And then after I put the cliff of the rock, I'm going to put my hand over that cliff of the rock. And then I'm only going to remove it when the back parts of myself are coming by. Wow. I mean, that's a lot of uh, structure there that the Lord's putting in there. A lot of safety precautions that he's putting in place for Moses here. And that's exactly what happened because he couldn't just trust that Moses was going to keep his eyes shut. Just close your eyes, Moses. <laughs> no, even that would have been too great, I think. But it's interesting how this took place. And we know that as a result of that, Moses' face began to shine 
where the place where he went down to the people, he actually put a veil over his face to cover that glory. Now, if you would read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, what you would begin to see is that glory is related to the glory of the law, not the glory of the New Testament or the glory of Christ. And so it's glorious and it was wonderful, but he didn't see the face of God. He saw the back parts. So anybody that's trying to even uh, attempt to be good enough to go to heaven, there's no way (laughs) that you're going to see the face of God. You you won't even see the back parts of God. You understand? And so it's interesting here. Number two, God's glory is the presence of God. That's really what it is. In verse 5 of chapter 34, it says this, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So the Lord comes down in the midst of the cloud. So it's actually his presence. So when you're talking about the glory of God, you're talking about the presence of God. Amen? So when you're talking about the glory of God filling up the tabernacle, you're talking about the presence of God filling up the tabernacle and the cloud covering it because there's no way that they could have handled seeing the presence of God. Yeah. Amen? Amen? All right, so verse, um, let's see, verse uh, number three. No, not verse, just number three. God's glory will be fully revealed to his people. And this is something we need to know. Before I get a little bit further, I want you to see this. In Jude 24 and 25, it says, Now unto him, it's talking about Christ, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now that's quite interesting. It says, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and and ever. Amen. So what we see here in the book of Jude when you're talking to a New Testament believer, someone that has received Christ as their Savior, that now you've got the ability to actually be faultless before God where you can stand before His glory and not die. That's what he's saying there. And who's able to do that? You? To say, and now you're able to stand? No, it says, now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. So it's the Lord that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless so that you can stand before God's glory and see him face to face. Now that's something Moses couldn't do in the Old Testament and that's the ministration of the law. And it's amazing how many people today, they want to approach God through the law. Now we know that in the tabernacle, the law was put inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And over that ark was placed a mercy seat because that was the place where they would meet God and that's how they would approach God is by mercy into the presence of God. But without that mercy seat, if you want to approach God through the law, that means by obeying the law and I'm going to do this, I'm going to be good, I'm not going to mess up and I'm sorry, you've already messed up. (laughs) You've already broken it. There's not a person in this room that has not broken the law of God. And by the way, if you've already broken it, you can't fix it. You can't fix it. How are you going to put it back together? It's like breaking something and putting it back together. Uh, You don't have that ability. And so you're going to stand before God thinking somehow I've done my best. I'm adding myself to this balance thing. The glory of God's on this side. (laughs) The weight of my God. I jump on this side with this broken 
law in my hand and I say, Lord, could you accept me? He says, how could I? How could I? And you'll never be able to look him in the face. You know, that's why we need to be saved. That's why we need to be placed in Christ. In Christ, he is able to present us faultless before his glory, the Bible says. Amen. So number three, let's look at the obedience for God's glory. Now, I don't want to lead you wrong here. You're not going to obey God and somehow that's what's going to balance you out here. But it is obedience that, that balances the scale. But it's not yours. <laughs> it's not your, your ability to obey. Letter A, Moses obeyed and built a place for the Lord in the tabernacle. So here God told him to do this, build this tabernacle, which is a picture of Christ. And when this picture of Christ was completed, that's when God's glory filled the tabernacle. And you see that verse 34 and 35. And then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because of the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You see the same thing in letter B. Solomon obeyed and built a place for the Lord in the, in the temple. And so in 1 Kings 8, verse 10, it says, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. So the same issue here. Same issue is, is that they, they were obedient in presenting this temple, which is a picture of Christ in a more permanent state. Amen. And God responded by filling that temple with his glory where they couldn't enter in. There's no place for you here because it's, it's full of God. <laughs> Amen. You can't make it in here. Now, letter C, the believer obeys and builds a place for the Lord in his heart. So there has to be a level of obedience. You have to obey the gospel first off. You have to get saved or there's no place in your heart for Christ. There's no place in your heart for God's glory. And so we see that in John 14, 21, it says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So it's talking to a saved person here. So if you're born again, you're a believer, and you're an obedient believer, his glory fills your life. His glory fills you. He says, if you obey me, and you love me, and keep my commandments, he says, I will manifest myself to you. Amen. That's God's presence. That's his glory. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Uh, let's move on to 1 Corinthians 3.16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. So now we're moving away from a tabernacle, moving away from a temple, and we're moving towards our body becoming the temple of God himself. Amen? So our whole goal is this as believers. Now you're already born again. You're already saved. You want God's glory to fill you. Because when God's glory fills you, then you begin to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. You begin to talk and act like him and do things the way he would do things, amen? But if you're not wanting to do that, you say, I don't care about being like Jesus, then how in the world will God's glory ever fill you? 
It's not possible. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. It's talking about the redemption price through the blood of Christ. Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Why are they God's? Because he purchased them. He purchased them with the blood of his son. So if you receive Christ as your savior, what happens is you have been purchased. He owns your body. He owns your spirit. He owns all of you. You don't own yourself. Amen. So I don't like that. I I don't want to get saved because I don't want to be owned by God. Well, the only thing is this. You need to understand if you're not saved, you're not owned by yourself. The Bible says you're sold under sin. That means that sin now owns you. So you got a choice here. You can go with sin where that will take you. The Bible says that's a lake of fire forever and ever. Or you can say, I will receive Christ as my Savior and allow him to purchase me and keep me from that damnation. <laughs> Amen. So it's, it's a pretty good trade when you think about it. Uh, and that's free. It's free of charge. And so for your bought with a price, 2 Corinthians 6.16, For what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So his goal was not to set up a tent in the middle of all the people, bring a cloud over top of it, and then continue to lead them every day in a cloud. That's not God's goal. That was, that was the process. That was a process that God was using to show you what he wants. And the tabernacle was put right in the center of the camp. And so what he's trying to tell you is, I want to dwell with you. And I want to dwell with you forever. And I want to walk in you. And I want to live in you. Now that isn't what happened in the tabernacle. That was external. <clears throat> His presence was over there. It was underneath a cloud. But now, as born-again believers, that presence is inside of you. And now he says, now I live inside of you. Now he says, I want to walk in you. Well, what's walking in you? Walking is practical steps every day. Amen. Amen. He wants you to walk. He wants you to walk with him every day. He doesn't, want you, he doesn't want to walk with you. He wants to walk for you. <laughs> Amen. In other words, he's not there to follow you around. He came inside of you so that you would follow him. Amen. A lot of us think today that God's here just to follow us around as I make my choices. No, God is here to show you what choices you need to make and that you need to follow him as he leads you. Just like he did with the tabernacle. When that cloud would come up, they would follow that cloud. Did they know where the cloud was going? No. They had no idea. So basically, the Christian life for us is, what does the Lord want us to do? And when he goes up and moves, that's when we move. And when he wants it, whether it's by night or by day. So it shows you that he wasn't necessarily just trying to keep them in the day. He actually wanted them to travel at night. Well, why in the world would he want us to travel at night? Because this world is a dark place. And he needs to let you know that even in darkness, that he is a light that will guide you through the darkness. Amen? So it would be great if we would just only, be, only have to worry about the day, day in our lives. But folks, there's a lot of nighttime coming for us. 
there's a lot of dark days. And we need to know that the Lord, just because he's in the cloud, we're not going to not see him. He says, oh, no, don't worry about it. Because in the nighttime, I'm going to show you that I'm a fire by night. And I'll guide you every step of the way. It's all what it's about. That's everything he's trying to teach us here is that I want to guide your life. He didn't say, Moses, tell me where you want to go and we'll go. <laughs> no, he just got up and went. And all of you, oh, he's moving. Everybody, pack up. And they had to get real quick at packing up. Yeah. I guess the Lord probably left them a little time, maybe inched along, <laughs> you know. But what happened is they would pack up and they would just follow God. That's what he wants from God's people. He doesn't want you to tell him where to go. He just wants you to follow him and wherever he is going. So, uh, letter D, this is an interesting point I was thinking about today. No flesh must glory in God's presence. This is an interesting thing because we do it a lot. <laughs> we do it a lot. But it ought not happen. It ought not happen. Yeah. Now, in 1 Corinthians one twenty nine. That's why the Bible talks in this passage about how he uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm not going to use you because you're, you're great and smart and you're so knowledgeable and you got your degrees and all that. And the world is saying, oh yeah, God would use a person like that. No, he's going to use the person that doesn't have the degree and doesn't. <laughs> he just picks you and says, I'll show you how great I am by using the foolish things of this world. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, I'm doing this to show you because no flesh should ever glory in my presence yeah. it should never be that i'm a pastor or a preacher because i've got a degree i don't care about that i've had people ask me so what kind of education you have i said well i could tell you what kind of education i have but it really doesn't make a difference because if i had no education at all you know what the lord could still use me because what I have is what every person here has. And what I could have is what everybody person here could have. And that is just faith to believe him. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how, how many things you think you've done. Everybody here has the same potential simply to believe God. Yeah. And that's how God gets glorified. So we have some examples in the scripture. Galatians I'll give you, I'll read this to you first. Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. So these practical things that happen within the church are really the flesh seeking to glorify in the presence of God. That's what's happening. So whenever I get envious at somebody, whenever I am looking for to be glorified in the church, why don't they mention my name? Why don't they talk about me? Why don't they give me that position? What's happening there is the flesh is seeking to glorify itself in the presence of God. So, folks, we need to really catch ourselves there. Because the Bible says, no flesh shall glory in the presence of God. So never should we have a heart like that. And when we find that it's there, we need to confess that and say, Lord, this is not right. This is wicked. I'm stealing from you. That's what I'm doing. I'm stealing your glory. I'm trying to put it upon myself and make myself look like something when I ought to simply just say, Lord, you know what's going on here. Every time you think that you've got to take control, what you're doing is says, God, I don't believe you can control this. So every time you take control, you're stealing the glory of God in the fact that he can control. 
every time, you know? And so we got to be very careful about this. 1 Peter 1.24, it says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. If you think about a dandelion, and you, you know, when, when they get all their little, uh, what do you call them? <laughs> I, I don't know nothing about dandelions. But you blow on them, and all of a sudden everything just, the spores just go. Bloosh. He says, that's your glory. It just kind of goes like this, and then it's gone. But that's not the glory of God. It says, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So basically, you want something to last. The world today, people, I want to leave my children something. I want to leave uh, the world something. I want to leave my mark, <laughs> you know. Well, you want to leave the flesh's mark? Yeah. Well, if you leave the flesh's mark, it's going to fade away. Yeah. But you know, the Bible talks about it, Hebrews chapter 11, where it talks about Abel testified of greater things. And it says that even now being dead, yet speaketh. How long has Abel been dead? Thousands upon thousands of years. And the Bible says that he's still speaking. Can I tell you something? When you follow God in his word, that's what causes you to last. That's what makes your imprint. That's what makes your, your impact on the world. You know, for me, I remember my, my grandfather, uh, he was, his name was Isaac, and uh, he, he was killed when I was a baby. In fact, he was killed by someone who was buying his car off of him, and he took it for a test drive, and he came back, and when the guy pulled into the driveway, he ran him into the garage. And my mother was holding me right in the front yard as this was happening. So I never knew my grandpa Isaac. I don't know anything. I don't, I don't know how rich he was. You know, I didn't know how smart he was. I don't know any of those things about the flesh with him. And I don't really need to know, you know. But you know, you know what I do know? My, my mother would tell me that he would sit down and read his Bible every day at the, at the dinner table. And there were his baptisms going on in the river. He'd take his whole family and they'd go watch the baptisms by the river. See, those things have impact impact in my life because God tells us to do those things God tells us to read our Bible God tells us to follow him by faith and when you do those kind of things those are the kind of things that you need to leave your children not how much money you have your, your money will burn it's all gone leave them faith leave them a testimony of faith because when you have a testimony of faith what you're doing is this, I'm leaving my children God's glory that's what I'll leave my kids I want my glory to be gone, and I simply want God to be glorified with my testimony. Amen. They should not remember an envious person that was always looking for glory from people, always wanted to lift himself up, a braggart, wanting everybody to notice, look at me. That ought never be your testimony, because God will never get glory from you, and you will fade away. Amen. That's powerful stuff. <laughs> no flesh. So is there examples of this in Scripture? Yes, there is. Herod was judged for glorying in his flesh. It's amazing how powerful people can get. But in Acts 12, verse 21, And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, he was a king, or, or a 
kind of a pseudo-king, I guess you'd say, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. That means he was speaking to the people. And the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. All I know is whatever Herod was saying, he wasn't saying, let's glorify God. He wasn't saying, to God be the glory. Whatever he left with those people, it caused them to say, Herod is a God. Wow, that's the flesh glorying in the presence of God. Who put Herod in that position? God. Then it goes on to say, And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Wow. Maybe that'll cause us to think twice about trying to receive glory here on earth. Amen. Now we also see in Romans chapter 1, man is given to a reprobate mind for changing God's glory to a lie. In Romans 1.23 it says, it's talking about these people, it says, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. That's what the world is doing today. Yeah. I mean, they think more of an owl than they do about God. They'll worship an owl, they'll worship an animal, but they're not going to worship our God. And the Bible says that people are changing the glory of God into an, in the glory of our uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. What that means is when you talk about corruptible, you're talking about tainted with sin. You're talking about cursed. Yeah. Everything on this earth is cursed. <laughs> That's why he says you don't go and fashion yourself an idol and try to make this into your God, like that golden calf and different things like that. He says, that's, that's corruptible. It goes on to say, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their body, own bodies between themselves. So basically what takes place is sexual immorality is a result of this. When you do not hold God up as the one that needs to be glorified, you'll be sexually immoral. And that's the type of world we live in today. You know, we've we got people out there trying to fix things. Oh, let's try to fix the problems. I can fix it very simply if they'll just listen. If they'll just turn their hearts back to God. If they'll give God the place that he deserves in their life. All these wicked young people that's going on today in this promiscuous society. The Bible talks about lasciviousness. They're actually proud of their ungodliness. That's simply because they do not believe in the glory of God and they've made their own gods they've changed the glory of God into something that they themselves want to fashion God into and that's exactly what happened with all societies as they fashioned their little gods this is what I want and I'll fashion my God to represent that and this is going to give me what I want that's the flesh's glory and so it says who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Number four, the access to God's glory will be done after this. I think this is my last point, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Letter A, Jesus is the revelation of God's glory to mankind. So what is God's glory? No man can see him. He's always been concealed. Concealed by the cloud, concealed in some way the invisible God that no man has seen. 
Well, in John 1.18, it says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So Jesus Christ is the declaration of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8, it says, and it talks about the, the crucifixion of Christ, it says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He is the Lord of glory. The one that was crucified on that cross 2,000 years ago is the Lord of glory. Wow. The Lord of glory? Can you say you're the Lord of glory? No, sir. Who can say that they're the Lord of glory? What type of entity, what type of thing, person, whatever, could actually admit such a thing and it be true? Well, the only one is God. He is the Lord of glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, this is a good one. It says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. So God is actually working through you so that people can see the glory of God. He actually wants to work through you. So the glory of God can be actually manifested through you, but only in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, number one is the brightness of glory. Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus Christ is the brightness of his glory. That's interesting because glory was always concealed. But now, for some reason, he has sent his son, who is called the brightness of the glory of God. And that word brightness means glimmering or the, the light of it. So it's talking about something you see. So now God is saying, I'm going to send my son, and you're finally going to be able to see my glory revealed in Jesus Christ. And so when you read the scriptures and you read about Jesus Christ, what's happening is, and of course, he's clothed in, in, in flesh. You know that. But yet his actions, his words, the things he says are all an, an example or an expression of God's glory to mankind. That's why you can change and become like Christ. You can be changed from glory to glory, the Bible says. Number two, Jesus is the glory of his Father. John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Number three, Jesus shared the Father's glory before creation. In case you're wondering whether Jesus Christ is a created being, he is not. He was there before creation. Amen? In John 17, 5, it says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So he had a relationship with his Father and shared completely the complete glory of God. But now as he emptied himself and came down to mankind to die, he says, now, Lord, what I want, Father, I want you to do is glorify me with the glory that we shared together before we created the world. Wow. In other words, all these years of them trying to, are you God? Are you the Messiah? Him not saying anything. <laughs> Him not making those declarative statements. Now he's saying, as I die and go to heaven, 
I want the whole world to know that I'm God. Amen. Number four, Jesus was declared to be Israel's glory. Remember we read that with Simeon when he saw the babe uh, on that eighth day when they brought the babe to the temple and so forth. And he said, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people, Israel. Oh, do I wish that Israel knew that Jesus Christ was their glory. If Jesus Christ is their glory, then how much of the glory of God are they actually taking part of in their present state? They've rejected the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what you could do is you could take the glory of God out of there and you could put the name Jesus there. For all have sinned and come short of Jesus Christ. Because he is the glory of God. Jesus will return in his glory. Luke 9, 26. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and his own fathers and in his fathers and of the holy angels. So he's going to come in his own glory. And you're going to see Jesus fully revealed at the coming, second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first coming, he came as a lamb. Second coming, he comes as a lion. <laughs> first coming, he comes as a savior. Second coming, he comes as a judge. You're going to see him revealed in his complete glory. That's going to be awesome. Uh, and then Mark 13, 26 says, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And number six, Jesus shares his glory with God's children. This is the powerful truth. Romans 8, 16. This is a great verse. It says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. People say, am I saved? Did I receive Christ as my Savior? Am I born again? Well, the thing is, the Holy Spirit of God will testify that to you. And if children, it says, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so that we suffer with him, that we may also, that we be also glorified together. Romans 8.30, it says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. So if you've been a part of the calling, those that receive the calling, and you have responded. You know, the Lord predestinated those that responded to the calling to become like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your predestination. Now, he didn't predestinate you to be saved. But he predestined, predestined the saved to become like Jesus. But he says this. He says, I predestinated you, the ones that I have called, and the ones that I have justified. What does it mean to be justified? Declare you righteous. So when you jump on that scale, <laughs> God's weight here. What's going to make you fit to meet God? What's going to cause it that you can stand before God and look in his face? Well, you need to be justified. Declared righteous, not with your own righteousness. It has to be a gift from heaven. He has to give it to you so you can actually stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. So you got a choice to make. You can stand before God with what you can drum up down here and die. 
and be separated forever. Or you can humble yourself and realize, I've got nothing to offer God. <laughs> There's really nothing good in me. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I need something from him. He needs to do something for me. And that's what he did on the cross of Calvary when he paid for your sins. And now he gives you the gift of eternal life. And the gift of righteousness. So you've got to be righteous to stand before God, but you can't be your righteousness or you will die. Amen? It has to be the righteousness of Christ. Um, let's move on quickly. Let it be, Jesus Christ made a way for sinful man to access God's glory. Here we see God's glory so much greater in the tabernacle than even on the Mount of God. The Mount of God was God coming down and saying, Hey, the law, you disobey, you die. That's it. Don't you touch the borders of the mountain or you will die. That's quite awesome. But the, the glory of the tabernacle is saying, Sure, you'll die. But can I tell you about my son? Can I tell you about the offering? Can I tell you about him being the light of the world? See, that's why it was, it was harder. That's why Moses could not enter into the tabernacle. And the glory of God was greater in the tabernacle than even on the Mount of God. Because it's revealing Jesus Christ to mankind. The Mount wasn't. The Mount was really revealing the holiness of God. <laughs> The mount was revealing the judgment of God, but there's something about that mount. It didn't reveal to me my salvation. That is only revealed through the tabernacle, through the offerings and the sacrifices and the blood that's shed upon the altar and brought before me, amen, for the forgiveness of sins. That's why the glory of God was greater in the temple. It says in Hebrews 2.10, For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Here it says in Romans 3.23, I already said this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then it goes on to say, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And if you look up what that word freely means, what you would find is it means without a cause. So it means being justified without a cause by his grace. So that means there's nothing in me that makes it that God would justify me. It's simply him loving me by his grace giving me his righteousness and declaring me righteous before God as a gift. Amen? But I first got to come to him empty. I got to, first verse, I've got to understand that. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The second part of that verse, being justified freely, without a cause, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? So number one, Jesus was completely obedient to God in an absolute sense. So when you're talking about the glory of God, it only comes through obedience. Jesus Christ was completely obedient. He never sinned. He, the Bible says in Hebrews 7, 26, for such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. 
Philippians 2.8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So what that means is there was no line that Jesus Christ drew that says, I'll be obedient till this point like we do. See, we have lines. We say, I'll be obedient till this point. <laughs> what the Bible tells us here is that Jesus had no line. He became obedient even though his father required him to die on the cross. Now, it wasn't easy because in the garden, he says, if there's a, if there's a way that this cup can pass from me. And the Bible says that he sweat drops as of blood. That was a heavy thing. But yet, he continued in obedience. And he went to the cross. Amen? So why is Jesus glorified? In fact, you'll find as a result of that, the Bible says that he glorified him and gave him a name above every name as a result. Matthew 5, 17, Think not I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And so this glory that is available to you, it's not coming to you based on your obedience. It's coming to you based on the obedience of Christ. Amen? Now, number two, Jesus atoned for all sin, creating a way to access God's glory. That's why you see in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Hebrews 10, 19, it says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The just for the unjust. Are you going to get to heaven by how good you are? Then why would Jesus have to die for you? See, he died for the unjust. Now, do you admit that you're unjust? Do you admit that there's no way that you yourself are justified before God? See, the Bible says, for it is God that justifieth in Romans chapter 8. So you can think that you're good enough, but the fact of the matter is you're justifying yourself. <laughs> the Bible says that God has to justify you. So from God's word, does he come to you and say you're good enough to go to heaven? I can show you so many passages that tell you that you're not. So there's no way you can justify yourself. God must justify you. Yet people do it all the time. You turn on the news. Well, I'm right because of this. And I'm right because of that. And I'm, you know, and we justify, justify. It doesn't matter what you think. About anything. About salvation. About life. About family about marriage, about gender. It really doesn't matter what you think, for it is God that justifieth. It's God that declares it righteous. It's God that says this is the way it is. And it doesn't matter what you say because you cannot justify yourself. But you'll find people that are trying to justify themselves before God in entering in heaven. They say, oh yeah, I'm good enough to go to heaven. They're also justifying themselves in every other aspect of life. But then you'll also find that those are willing to allow to God to justify them for salvation. 
now hold this position that, well, if God justified me for salvation, then as well, God must justify every part of my life. Amen? So, men, are you going to marry a man or a woman? Well, I just, I don't care what you think. It doesn't matter what you think. You don't justify yourself. What did God say? For it is God that justifieth. And the people out there, they are trying to just throw stuff out there, and people are buying it. And people are going to hell by the droves because they have not stopped at that first step where they've allowed the Lord to justify them for salvation. They're still trying to operate with God. They're trying to bring God. So, God, take this. I'll give you this. Let me into heaven. God says, there's no way. You're trying to justify yourself. There's only one way to enter into heaven. Drop everything and throw yourself at the mercy of the court. Say, Lord, I deserve to go to hell. But have mercy on me, a sinner. And come to him with empty hands. Don't give him one thing you've ever done. Don't give him one religious act. Don't try to tell him you've been baptized. Don't try to tell him how good you've been, how faithful you've been in the, singing in the choir, playing the piano. Uh, when you come before God, you just simply say, Nothing, God. I've got nothing. I'm empty. And I'm going to hell. But then you say, but I believe Jesus. I believe he was perfect. I believe that he paid the price. I believe that he died for the unjust. And then the father looks back at you and says, justified. Freely. By his grace. Whew! That ought to make you shout a little bit. Where's David? David, we need your shouting here. <laughs> You understand that, folks? That is the truth of the matter. Yet how many people today, I, heard, I was talking to someone today again, and they were trying to tell me how that they were good enough to go to heaven. During the day, I had a conversation with somebody. And I tried to help them to understand. There's no way. You justify yourself, you're going to hell. You let him justify you then salvation is a free gift. Amen. Amen. Number three, Jesus made us acceptable to God. I'll give you one verse, we'll be done. In Ephesians 1.6, it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the beloved. Our life is supposed to be a praise to the grace of God. His grace is just His free gift to mankind. Undeserved kindness of God. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It's all him. Amen. That, my friend, is the gospel message. Salvation through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Why did, was that glory so great over that tabernacle? Why was it that he could not enter into the tabernacle when he could walk right up on Mount Sinai? What was the difference with the glory of God? Because the tabernacle represented Jesus Christ and all that he has done to purchase your salvation. 
every piece of furniture, <laughs> the brazen altar, the cross, the labor, the cleansing and the washing, the bread of life, the table of showbread. I am the bread of life. Anybody eats of me, he says, oh, you will not hunger. It's all about him. I am the light of the world, the lampstand. The altar of incense is a picture of his accepted life before his father, the, the sweet smell of what Christ is to his father. You see, you can never please God apart from Jesus. If you think you're going to please God apart from Jesus, you are wrong. That's why the Bible says, for without faith, it is impossible to please him. That means you have to believe what the Bible says and do it. Because simply what the Bible says is what causes you to enter into the, what, light, what the Christian life is to the Father in heaven. That's what Abel did. He simply just offered a lamb like he was told. And the Bible says, now being dead, he yet speaketh. That's what Noah did when he prepared an ark. That's what Abraham did when he left the land, uh, you know, uh, Babylon, that whole area, to go into a place that he'd never been before, trusting God. See, it's not, he didn't please God, but his obedience and the faith of the word of God is what pleased him. Amen. Three times Jesus, the Father, looked down to earth and said, Behold my son, or look to him in whom I well pleased. Hear ye him. Amen. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to give you a quick invitation here tonight, folks. I just want you to think about this for a second. Have you ever come to God with empty hands realizing that you're not good enough? That his grace is far too great. There's no way that you can jump on that scale. If you're going to be saved, it's going to, be have, it's going to have to be a gift. It's going to have to be by grace. And it's going to have to be without a cause. There's nothing in you that triggered this. There's nothing in you that God says, oh, you're the one I want to save. <laughs> There's no religion that's acceptable to God. He's just looking for his son. If you'll receive what his son did 2,000 years ago for you, then you will please God.